0: Good evening how are we doing? Hi. Cool. Hey, if you got a Bible with you, John chapter 1, that's where we'll be again today, John chapter 1. As we jump into the text this evening, I want to take you back to the year as we begin, as you flip there, to the year 2016. The year 2016, I was invited by Hume Lake Christian Camps to speak at a camp, but it was not here in the mountains or any of their locations here in California. It was a camp that was hosted in the great state of Hawaii. Am I right to say we have a church from Hawaii? Hey! Search from Hawaii here this week. So, so I'm in Hawaii, and I understand you, y'all are from Maui. I'm on the island of Oahu, uh, and, and here's what Hume does. They run a camp out in Hawaii. So, so I speak for the camp, and I have the opportunity to be there for the week, and it was just this awesome week um, of ministry and of the Bible, just so similar to what we experience. Different setting, but similar experience to what God does here at camp. And so I do that week of camp, and then we wrap up camp, and then the idea is that we're going to go spend two nights in a hotel before we fly out, and I go back home to my family. So I go into the hotel, and, and, and again, these, the folks over here are going to understand this. There's kind of like time differences, like a three-hour time difference between here and Hawaii. So anytime you have these time zone shifts, you just start to like wake up at odd hours, and your sleep is never quite correct. And this happens to me the first morning I'm there in that hotel, and I wake up way before anyone else in the room with me. So here's what I decide, it's early in the morning, the sun is rising and I decide I am going to go find myself a cup of coffee and sit on the beach and watch the sunrise. It's gonna be this wonderful, peaceful moment, I'm excited for that. So I leave my hotel room, I go downstairs, I head down to the street. I have no idea really where I'm going, I just start wandering and assume I will find a cup of coffee easily. My assumption was incorrect. I'm walking down the beach, the beach is on my right, there's stores on my left, and I start walking by all of these places that are closed, which isn't surprising, because it's early, but I'm looking for coffee, and so there's gotta be a place. And I start to go, and I start to look for my coffee, and I'm not finding it. Now, here's what you need to understand about me. There are certain types of people in this world who say things like, I want some coffee. That is not me. Someone in this room will resonate with this. I am not an I want some coffee kind of guy. I am a I need. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. My people, right? And so it starts to really amplify in me. It's not like, man, I'd love a cup of coffee. It's like if I don't find a cup of coffee, I will burn this world to the ground, right? And so I'm going and I'm going, and I don't see coffee anywhere. And I'm starting to get desperate, and I'm starting to get worked up, and the sun's starting to rise. And this whole picture I had in my mind of me sitting on the beach, cup of coffee, sun rising, is being ruined in this moment. And then I see a place. And I go, okay, I guess they'll have coffee in there. I didn't wanna go into this place, but I'm gonna confess before you, I went into this place, I opened the door, I walked up to the counter and I heard the nine words no one looking for coffee ever wants to hear on a morning like this. Here are the nine words I heard. Welcome to Burger King, may I take your order? Now now, now listen, Burger King's got some wonderful things. The French toast sticks, they'll be in heaven, right? But listen to me, like that is not where I go for coffee. When I think I want a cup of coffee, that's not where I go, but it was the only place. So I buy my cup of coffee from Burger King and I go and I sit on the beach and the sun is rising and I'm having the moment I thought I would have, but it wasn't quite what I really wanted and I remember this story so perfectly in my mind because it was a moment in my life where I settled for a cheap, watered-down substitute rather than the real thing. Well, like what I was drinking would like, technically be called coffee, but it was like a watered-down, cheap imitation. And you know what my concern tonight? My concern is that there are many of you, maybe even hundreds of you in this room, that have settled for a watered-down, cheap imitation version of Christianity. You have settled for a version of Christianity where you hear your youth pastor share stories out of the Bible and you see some things on TikTok occasionally and you hear Christian songs and you hear all sorts of things about Jesus but you don't actually know the real thing. And the reason you don't know the real thing is because you have not dedicated your life, even your high school life and your teenage years, to knowing and trusting and studying and delighting in the Bible. See, tonight, here's my concern. My concern is that there are so many of you in this room that the only Bible you get in your life is when someone else has studied the Bible and you are listening to them talk about it. That there are so many of you that have settled for less than what Jesus has for you because you do not know the word of God for yourself. And tonight, if I'm describing you and you have settled for a version of Christianity where you don't really experience the real thing because you don't know the word. My goal in this next time together as we go through John chapter 1 is to persuade by the power of the Holy Spirit as many of you as possible to get to know the real thing tonight. To dedicate your life to knowing the word of God. Because when you know the word of God, you will settle for no watered-down, cheap imitation of Christian faith in following Jesus. But you will instead encounter the real thing. Not a philosophy, not a morality, not an idea, but a person. A person. You encounter through the Holy Scriptures, and that person is Jesus. Uh, I want you to see how this begins, John chapter one and verse 19. It says, "Now now this was John's testimony. This is John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. This is John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, "I am not the Messiah." Now, here's what happens. Jesus comes onto the scene, and what happens when Jesus comes onto the scene is not dissimilar to what happens when a new kid shows up at your school or at your church. You ever do this? Like, maybe you're above this, but someone else new shows up, and suddenly you're talking about them. You're like, ooh, I wonder where they're from. I wonder what they're up to. I wonder what their life is all about. Like, there's all this murmur and conversation about the new kid in the block, and so here's what's happening for Jesus. Jesus shows up onto the scene, and suddenly everyone in Israel, these Jewish leaders especially, are trying to figure out what's this guy all about, and so they go to John. John, the one who baptized Jesus. John, the one who said, it's my job to witness to Jesus. And they ask him, who, who is this? Like, like John's testimony, when the Jewish leader sent priests to him, he did not fit. I am not the Messiah. Jesus is on the scene, and yet John, Jesus, John is trying to go, it's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and his kingship and his kingdom, not about me. But, but I also want to point something out here. This question they ask when they come to him and they send the Levites to ask who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. Now this seems kind of like an odd question. Well, like somehow they've come to this question of like, are you the Messiah? And ultimately what John's answer is going to be is, no, I'm not the Messiah, but I'll point you to the one who is. And what I want to point out tonight is this. That the only reason this conversation makes sense is because both the Jewish leaders and John the Baptist know their Bibles. And because they know their Bibles, here's what they know. They know that all throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the 39 books of the Old Testament, all throughout those scriptures, there is this promise that one day God will send a Messiah to save his people. God will send a Messiah, and the Messiah is meant to be the final king who rescues and redeems God's people. And what the people are looking forward to is they are looking forward to that Messiah actually coming into the world. This is crazy. This is so simple but so important. There was a promised Messiah in the Old Testament. And so what the people of God in that time would do is they would go, okay, God said it. I believe it's going to happen because God is a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. If he promised there was going to be a Messiah, surely a Messiah is going to come onto the scene. You see, they understood their Bibles. And here's what these Jewish leaders understood. They didn't know who Jesus was yet, but they knew that the Bible was a reliable guide to life, that the Bible was not just a book of stories to not get nice lessons out of. It wasn't just a book of information about God. They understood that the Bible is a reliable guide to reality. We talked about this morning that truth is what? Truth is that which corresponds with reality. And these Jewish leaders knew that the Bible was a reliable guide to that reality. Reality. Uh, I want you to think about it this way. So um, uh, what what happened a number of years ago when smartphones started to come out uh, is that we all sort of lost our ability to navigate around cities and towns and different places because we would just punch the the address into our thing and it would pop up and then it would tell us turn by turn which way to go. You think of something like Apple or Google Maps, right? You put the address in and then it just tells you where to go. And if every time you put it in, it tells you where to go, you will start to understand that Apple or Google Maps is a reliable guide to reality. But if every time you punched in the address, it took you in a complete different direction, you would stop trusting that guide to reality because it is not a reliable guide to reality. And here's what I want to point out. That what the ancient believers in God knew, and what I hope we all know as well, is that the Bible is a reliable guide to reality. Meaning that what the Bible contains is not just a list of facts or interesting stories about God, but when I see it and I experience it and I believe it, it is a guide to reality. Let me give you three examples here, just so I'm being clear. Let me give you three scriptures throughout the course of my life that I have memorized and internalized that have proved to be a reliable guide to reality. So here are sentences written thousands of years ago in this book we call the Bible that have been a reliable guide for me in my life. Let me show you Proverbs 13:20. It says this. It says, walk with the wise and become wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So this was written thousands of years ago and I have found this to be a reliable guide for life. You know what this says? When I hang out with wise people, it rubs off on me. I become wiser. When I hang out with wise old men and women who have just been around and they follow Jesus and they know him and they've seen life, I become wiser. But then what's the second part say? A companion of fools suffers harm, which tells me I just have to hang out with foolish people in order to be harmed to them. Do you know that you don't have to be a be a foolish person to be harmed by fools? All you have to do is hang out with people who make foolish and unhealthy and unwise decisions, and it will wreck and ruin your life. When I say that this is a reliable guide to reality, I mean that that sentence, that the the, the walk with the wise and become wise, a companion of fools suffers harm, that is something that has been a reliable guide for my life. Let me give you another reliable guide to my life. We'll fast forward to some words Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart is. There your heart will be also. See, here's what Jesus means. Jesus means when I put my money somewhere, my heart always follows after it. See, we like to think it's the opposite. We like to think it's when you're really passionate about something, then you'll give money to it. But Jesus says it's the exact opposite, which is why, for example, I care a great deal about what happens to this device. You all have phones in your pockets or you have in your bag or something, you left it at home, but wherever it is, you have a phone. And can I tell you, I care almost nothing for your phone. I don't. Why don't I care about your phone, but I care about my phone? It's because I don't care about the idea of phones. It's because I spent money on this and because I put my treasure into it, My heart follows after it. The same is true for my cars or any of my possessions. We care about the things that we have invested money into. This is a reliable guide to reality. It's true with your phones and your homes and your cars. It's also true for more important things in your life. Like one of the things I've learned in my life is that when I give money to my local church, my heart is knitted to what God is doing through that. When I give money to the poor so people can eat or have housing or clothes so I can take care of people, my heart becomes knitted to the poor. When I give money to global missions and try to invest in what God is doing, not just here in our nation, but all over the world, God knits my heart to that because where my money goes, my heart will follow after. See, the Bible is a reliable guide to reality. Let me show you one more verse here out of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes these words. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as Christ in God forgave you. Now, I don't know about you Uh, Maybe you've gone through life up until this point and you've never been wounded by anyone. But I can tell you, when I was your age, I had been wounded. I'd been wounded by friends. I'd been wounded by teachers. I had been wounded by coaches. I had been wounded by an ex girlfriend who broke my heart and betrayed my heart. I'd been wounded in all sorts of different kinds of ways. The wounds went deep. And I need to tell you this, that my natural inclination was not I will be kind and compassionate to my brother. I'll be kind and compassionate to the person who hurt me. I'll be kind and compassionate and forgive my ex-girlfriend. That was not my inclination. And yet, this becomes a reliable guide to reality in that every time I've learned to be kind and compassionate and to forgive those who have wounded me, I find that a prisoner gets free. And you know who that prisoner is? Me. I have found that it has blessed my life like no other. Again, the Bible becomes a reliable guide to reality. And my point is that I could go through all of the scriptures and show you over and over and over again, not just that the Bible is true, which it is. Not just that it's inspired by God, but it is. Not just that it doesn't contain errors, that it is inerrant, that it is not an error-filled book, but it is. But most important thing about the Bible is that God gives it to us that we might walk in obedience to us and realize that the Bible is a reliable guide to reality. I want you to see how it continues on this way in verse 21. It says, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So there's two questions here. Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Now here's what we might not know. In the Bible, there are only two people who never die. Two people who never die in the entire Bible, that they go up to heaven without actually dying. The first is a man named Enoch in the book of Genesis. It says that he walks with God, and because he walks with God, he was no more. In some way, like, he just goes to be with God. The only other individual in the Bible who does not die is the individual named Elijah. And Elijah is taken up to heaven in a chariot. It's this miraculous, beautiful story in the Old Testament. And here's the belief that they get from the final book of the Old Testament. The belief they get about Elijah is that Elijah is going to come back because he never died and announce the coming of this Messiah. So they ask him a question based on their understanding of the Bible. Listen, we believe the Bible's a reliable guide to reality. So are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not. And then he asks this, are you the prophet? What does the prophet mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the book of of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are written by Moses. Moses is the great leader of God's people. In fact, if you were here last summer, we talked about Moses and his leadership of the people of God. And so Moses ultimately prophesies that God's going to raise up someone greater than him. And so again, they believe this is coming. And so they go, are you the prophet? And he says, no. But again, I'm pointing this out because I want to point out that they don't see the Bible as just a bunch of children's stories they're supposed to hear and think about. They believe it's a reliable guide to reality. And then here's what's important too. They believe the Bible is describing real people in real places, in real circumstances with a real God. Like here's what they believe about the Bible and here's what some of you need to know. The Bible is not a myth. The Bible is not a fairy tale. The Bible is not a set of children's stories that we don't all believe are true. We just kind of tell our children to teach good moral stories. See, the Bible is not a myth. And the reason I know that is the Bible is not written as a myth. I want to tell you how myths go. Myths start with this. A long time ago in a far away kingdom, right? Once upon a time in a far away kingdom, it's happening somewhere so long no one can remember it and so far away that no one's ever been there. Or here's our most famous modern myth. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, this happened, right? So where does that happen? Where does this myth happen? Well, it's so long ago no one can remember it and so far away no one could ever get there. You know where the Bible happened? The Bible happened a couple thousand years ago in recorded history. And it happened mostly in a place called Israel, in a city called Jerusalem, surrounding that area, where if you got down to LAX and hopped a plane, you could be there by tomorrow. It's not in a place you could never go to. And it's not so far back no one can remember. The Bible is not written as a myth, the Bible is written as history. Like, the point of the Bible is that you would see real people interacting in real time and space with real problems with a real God. And that's what we see here in this book. Again, this book, of they're talking to John, and they're so convinced that the Bible is actually telling us about reality. Verse 22 goes on this way. It says, finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Like, come on, man, don't leave us in suspense. Who are you? Then what do you say about yourself? And John replied with the words of Isaiah the prophet I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now, the Pharisees had been sent, who, who had been sent questioned him Why do you baptize if you are not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? Now, here's what you see. I want you to see he's quoting the book of Isaiah. He's bringing up this Messiah, this final king of Israel. He's bringing up Elijah and the prophet. And I want you to know that this conversation they are having only makes sense in the context of a people who know and love and have studied and memorized the scriptures. This conversation would make absolutely no sense if no one knew and understood and trusted the Bible. It's like this. Um, When I arrived here um, at camp, Um, I got here, and and then immediately I wanted to jump on Wi-Fi, and and, and they provide some Wi-Fi for us so I can get back to my family and be like, I'm safe, I'm alive, right? And, And so I wanted to do that, and so it's the first day, and I try to get the Wi-Fi set up, and there's a problem with the Wi-Fi, so I go to the front desk, and I ask for some help, and someone says, I can help you with the Wi-Fi. And so they take my phone, and they start to configure the Wi-Fi, and they start to use words that are English words but I don't understand any of them, right? Like they're using words that are English words, but it's going way over my head because I'm not a technology person. I don't really know. It's just my phone works or it doesn't. But here's what was happening in that moment. Because they understood the language and I didn't, there was a disconnect going on. And what can so often happen, and here's my concern for this room. My concern is because some of you don't know the Bible for yourself that there are times where someone is standing up and preaching and communicating and calling you to faithful obedience in Christ, but because you haven't understood the Bible for yourself, you don't actually know what you're called to do. So here's the point. The point is not just you affirm that the Bible is true. That's good. The point is not that you would say, the Bible is without errors and I'm gonna defend it. That's a good thing. The point of knowing the Bible is knowing what you are supposed to do. If you're taking notes, write down this phrase tonight. I want you to know That the word of God allows the people of God to know the will of God. The word of God allows the people of God to know the will of God. And if you do not know the word of God, if you do not know your Bible, you will not know what God wants for you or calls you toward in this life. You will have no idea because it is the word of God that allows the people of God to know the will of God. And my burden tonight is that you would know that, that you would know what God actually has to say. And because you know what God has to say, you can actually live out the life that he has called you toward in faith. And my burden again is that you would know the word of God because there are so many messages, so many things that call themselves true, even things that call themselves Christians. And I want you to know the real thing. I want you to think of it this way. Um, Not long ago, I had a buddy of mine whose Instagram was hacked. You ever had that? Like with a friend whose Instagram gets hacked? And then what immediately happens? Um, They send me a DM. And the DM is like asking for some help, and they want this and that and the other thing. And and there's like a whole like mode of like they do this thing where it's like fraud and you can tell. But here's what really quickly happened for me. My buddy Jordan, his Instagram gets hacked. The message gets sent to me, and immediately I know it's fake. Why did I know it was fake immediately? I knew it was fake immediately because I know what Jordan sounds like. I know how Jordan talks. I know how Jordan texts. I know what punctuation he does or doesn't use. I know what emojis he does or doesn't use. So when I got that fake message, I knew immediately it wasn't him without even having to call. Do you know that's what I want for you when it comes to the Bible? I want you to know the word of God so well that when you hear something, you can immediately know whether it's right or wrong, good or bad, true or false. This is what I want for you. I want for you to be the type of people who know the Word of God and trust the Word of God so that you can know what God's will is for your life, so you can know how you are supposed to live. So here's what I want for you. If tonight, if tonight you would say, I'm one of those people, I don't read the Bible for myself, this isn't my passion, I haven't done this, I'm not this regular Bible reader, that's not my deal, I just haven't done it, I want you to commit to doing three things. If you're taking notes, write these down. Three things I want everyone in this room to commit to, and I just believe it will turn your life upside down. You will know God's will for your life. You will walk in the faithfulness and the confidence of God's word. You will stand upon his truth. Three things. Number one, you must crush your excuses. You must crush your excuses. Number two, you must create a plan. You must create a plan. Number three, you must cultivate a lifestyle. You must crush your excuses. You must create a plan. And you must cultivate a lifestyle if you wanna move the Bible to the center of your life, if you want to know the truth about who Jesus is, if you want to know God's will for your life and what he has called you toward in this world, you must crush your excuses, create a plan, cultivate a lifestyle. Let's start with crush your excuses. I love the excuses I hear when people tell me they, don't, they can't read their Bible, they don't read their Bible because everyone's got a great one and they're all terrible, right? And so here's the excuse I hear most of all. The excuse I hear so often is this one, Brian, I would love to read my Bible, I'm just so busy, I don't have time, right? Like, my life is crazy, my life is busy, you don't understand what it's like to be in high school, and extracurriculars, and activities, and sports, and all of that, Brian, I'm so busy, I don't have time to read my Bible. And here's what I used to do. I used to try to argue with people on that point, and be like, could you carve out a few minutes? Do you think you might have a little bit of time? We'd assess their calendars, and then in 2018, I had to stop doing that. In fact, in 2018, that excuse was taken out of all of our hands. You ask what happened in 2018 that took that excuse of I don't have time to read my Bible out of my hand. Here's what happened. Apple rolled out a new feature for their iPhones, and the new feature they had on their iPhones was called screen time, right? And so you see that report every week, and if you have an Android, I'm sure there's some equivalent to that, but you see this report every week, and it tells you how many hours per day you're on your phone. And I don't know about you, but I look at my screen time report, I'm like, I could read the Bible every week with this amount of time. Like, that excuse is taken out of our hands. And so what do we need to recognize? That there's an excuse we use that I don't have time to read my Bible, and yet if we're honest with ourselves, that excuse does not hold water. Well, let me put it to you this way. Um, Guys, can I pick on you for a second? I'm going to pick on the gentleman. Gentlemen, I want to imagine that you meet uh, like a a camp crush here this week, okay? Now, I know this never happens, but imagine in theory you, okay, meet meet a camp crush. And then um, after camp, two things simultaneously happen. Number one is you get home from camp, you go to the doctor and they tell you there's something terribly wrong with your body, we need to do life-changing, or not life-changing, life-saving surgery on Saturday. You're like, okay, Saturday I'm gonna have my life saved. But then your crush texts you and it's like, hey, you wanna go see a movie with me and my friends on Saturday? I think most of the guys in this room would assess, like which do I wanna do, have my life saved or go on this date? <laughs> Why? Like, why would we skip a life-saving surgery? Because we make time for things we care about. Hear me on this. I am convinced that if you would decide that the Bible is not just something you should occasionally once in a while read, but if you decide it is a priority for you, you will find the time. That every one of us use the excuse that I don't have time, and we all know that one's nonsense. Here's another excuse we like to use from time to time. And it's actually a pretty good one. Here's the excuse. The Bible's too confusing, Brian. Brian. Like, I've tried to read it before, but the Bible is confusing. I try to read it, and I get really confused. And here's what I want you to know. I'm a pastor. I've gone to college and graduate school to study the Bible, and there are still times I read this book, and i open it up and go, huh? Right? Like, there's still times it's confusing. And yet, here's one of the things I've learned throughout my life. One of the things I've learned throughout my life is that when things get confusing in my life, there's almost never a circumstance where when something matters to me and it is confusing, I just give up on it. Like, raise your hand if you play an instrument of any kind in this room. Okay, all over this room. Some of you won't get this. You guys will. Um, Remember when you first picked up the instrument? Like, you started playing the guitar, the piano, the trumpet, whatever your deal is. Like, you started playing it. It was super confusing. Because you're like, how do I do this? And this is complicated. It's a new skill. But now some of you can play it with your eyes closed. Why? It was confusing, but you figured it out. You learned it. Because we take time to research and figure out things that matter to us. Or like imagine this. I want you to imagine that you get a new Xbox or a PlayStation. You plug it in. You're super stoked to start playing games with your friends online. And you're so excited. You plug it in. You turn it on. You're sitting on your couch. You got everything ready. And then suddenly on the screen, it says error code 4464. Oh, man. I hate that error code. I have no idea what that error code is. And neither do you. But here's what I know. I know that none of you with the new PlayStation or Xbox would sit back and go, error code 4464, I don't know what that is. I guess I will never use this device. I will throw it in the trash can, right? None of you are gonna do that. What are you gonna do? You go on the Google machine and you type in error code 4464, Xbox, what the heck is wrong with my machine? That's what you do. Why? Because you research things you care about. I can I tell you the craziest thing? There's never been a time in human history where you have had more access to resources about the Bible. Like you can just go online and there are infinite free resources. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. I just want you to research it. I want you to look into it. And you know what else I want you to do? If your thing is the Bible is too confusing for me, I want you to make the best $50 investment you'll ever make. I want you to go buy, when you come home from camp, a study Bible. One of those big, thick Bibles that has notes on confusing verses, and you can read through it. And some of you are like, $50, I could never afford that. It's like you've got an $800 phone in your pocket. Like, yes, we can, we can all, like, you buy like $200 pairs of shoes. You're like, I could never afford 50 bucks on this. Yes, you can. And if you're like, which study Bible do I get? Go talk to your youth pastor. They probably have one. Buy whichever one they have, and then you'll have the cheat notes. Like, you'll have the teacher notes with you. Go invest in that. Why? The Bible is confusing, but we research things. That we care about. And then here's what I used in high school when I didn't want to read the Bible. I love this phrase. I was like, you know what? Uh, I know I'm supposed to be reading the Bible, um, but you don't understand. um, I'm more of like an athlete jock type situation. Um, I played football in high school. That was kind of my whole life and a whole different situation. But I was like, I'm an athlete. I'm not really a reader. I'm not a reader. I love that excuse because I was like, reading, I don't really do reading. But then here's what I realized is true for me and here's what's absolutely true for you. You are 100% of a reader. You sit all week, you stand all week, you are constantly reading things all the time. Like you're driving through town trying to get somewhere and you're not like, ah, uh, man, I wish I knew what street to turn on, but I, I'm not a reader so I don't know what the street's are. You're just like driving around in circles. Like you read all the time. You're scrolling through social media, you see a post, you're like, ooh, provocative, right? And then you read the caption, right? you are a reader. And then let me do this. I picked on the guys. Let me pick. Ladies, can I pick on you? Okay. So ladies, 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 I want you to imagine you come back from camp and there's the camp crush. And it's been this thing of like, is this a thing? Is this not a thing? Is this emotion? Is this nothing? What's going to happen here? And you're trying to sort this all out. And then you're hanging out after camp and suddenly your camp crush texts you. Uh Uh-huh. And you open the text and... It's a multi-pager. You have to swipe. Oh my goodness, Uh, So, so, so you have this multi, your camp, he he sends you the text. It's a multi-pager. Your heart is beating out of your chest. Listen, there is not a single young lady in this room who will go, I wanna read this, but I'm not a reader. (laughs) Mom, will you read this for me? No one, why? You read things you care about. Say, so hear me on this. Bring it right here. You make time for things you care about. You research things you care about. You read things you care about. Can I say something else? You memorize things you care about. You do. Like, if you ask me my children's name, I don't have to be like, hold on a second. Let me check here. Um, No, like, you memorize things. And not only do you memorize things you care about, but, like, you have a greater capacity to memorize things than you have ever known. Like, some of you growing up memorized state capitals, right? Like, super helpful information. So I say Idaho, and you say? Boise, Boise, right? Like, when has that information before this moment ever come in handy? (laughs) Never is the answer, right? Shh. But but here's what happens. Like We memorize all kinds of stuff that we have locked away in our brain. Like here, let's do this, just to see if you can actually memorize things and see if you plugged away completely useless information. Once you realize, recognize the the lyrics to this song, would you start singing with me? So I put my hands up, they're playing my song. The butterflies fly away. Not in my head like yeah. Moving my hips like, yeah, so I put my hands up the song then know it's gonna be okay. Yeah! It's a party in the USA! Stop saying you can't memorize things! You have got a song from over a decade ago locked away in your brain! You've got this thing! So, so what do we do? Like, you have an incredible capacity to memorize things. And and here's the coolest thing in the world. The Bible makes a promise, and here's the promise. When you hide the word of God in your heart, it resists the sin that comes after your soul. Like, how amazing is that? And you can memorize verses in the word of God. You're not expected to memorize the whole Bible. Don't make a joke out of this. But go deliberately memorize Bible verses. Hide them away in your heart because you memorize things you care about. What's the number one thing we said tonight? you got to crush your excuses. What's number two? Number two, got to create a plan. Do you know the people who never end up reading their Bible well? It's the people who do the lucky flip. You ever done the lucky flip? You're like, here we go. And Moses said the snakes are coming. You're like, uh, what? You know, like, you're just like, you flip to a random part of the Bible and then you're disappointed because it didn't work out. Or, or shh. You occasionally read the Bible at night and sometimes in the morning and sometimes the Old Testament and sometimes the New Testament. You know what you're like? You're like the person who wants to get into shape and they roll into the gym and the first day they do bench press and then they go home and then the next day they do swimming and then the next week they do Pilates and then the next week they do kickboxing and then they're wondering like, why am I not becoming an incredible athlete? Because you have a terrible plan. You know what you need when you read the Bible? You need a plan. Here's the plan. When am I gonna read the Bible? For some of you, it's the morning. But do you know that there's nothing actually holier about the morning than the evening? If you want to read it in the evening, that's fine. If you want to read it during your lunch break at school, that's fine too. You can do it in the afternoon for all I care. Pick a time. Pick a part of the Bible you're going to read. Decide, I'm going to read through the book of John. I'm going to read through the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read through the Psalms or the Proverbs or Philippians. You pick something and you read through it. Or, again, using the Google machine, right? You go online, just type in the words, Bible reading plans and like 4.7 billion will come up and you just pick one, right? You have a plan. You know when you're gonna do it. You know where you're gonna do it. I found this, I have this little place in my home office. I just sit in this little chair. That's where I read my Bible and it's so awesome. It's like that's my meeting spot with God. I just go hang out with him there every morning. You create a plan so that you actually have something lined up, and then you work that plan consistently. Listen, the goal here isn't that you just randomly flip open the Bible and read it. It's that you make a plan, and then you execute on that plan. And if you're like, how in the world do I come up with a plan? I'm so lost. I'm so confused. I'm so new to the Bible. Here's what's so cool. You've got a resource, and that resource isn't me or Hume Lake. It's your youth pastors and counselors who came up with you. Like, like if you're an adult in this room, youth pastors and counselors, I'm gonna ask a question. And on three, you say yes or no out loud, okay? Only adults get to answer. Students, shh. All right, here's the question. Youth pastors, counselors. If a student walks up to you sometime this week and says I'm interested in creating a plan to read the Bible, can you help me develop one? Can you help me figure out how to read the Bible? On three, youth pastors, counselors, would you help that student? One, two, three. Yes. That is the sign that you have men and women who are able, that's why it matters that you are part of a local church. Shh. You are not expected to figure this out all on your own. There are men and women who know and love and read their Bibles and have plans of their own, and they want to help you. Go talk to them this week. Just say, I don't read my Bible. I'm going to be honest. I don't even know where it is. Even if I did know where it was, I'm not even sure I know how to read it. Can you help me? And they would love to help you. Talk to your youth pastors. Talk to your counselors. Be plugged into a local church. Maybe even decide to do a Bible reading plan together. The best Bible reading plans are where you and three other friends just decide we're all going to read the same thing every day. We're going to text about it. We're going to make it part of our lives. you got to crush your excuses. you got to create a plan. What's the final one? Cultivate a lifestyle. Here's what I mean. I'm not asking you to read your Bible. I'm asking you to become a Bible reader. And there's a difference between those two things. Read your Bible is a task that you do. I am a Bible reader is an identity that I internalize. That's what I did many years ago. I decided it's not just that I'm gonna try to read my Bible more, it's just I started saying, I'm a Bible reader, that's what I do. I study it, I know it, I love it, I treasure it, I delight in it, I do this all the time. You reframe it and then you reframe your expectations. Like here's what I just need to tell some of you. You're not gonna open the Bible every day and have your mind blown. I heard a pastor once and he was like, every time I read the Bible, I get a fresh word from the Lord, and I'm so energized, and I'm so excited, and I was sitting there going, that's not me. It's not, but here's what I want you to know, that you do not need to feel something in order for the word of God to be at work in your life. If you expect emotion to be the sign that God's working in your life, you'll never quite get it, but it's like this. Every morning, I take a multivitamin. I don't take a multivitamin and then suddenly be like, I'm ready for the day, you know, like that doesn't happen, But I know over time, it's helping nourish my body in such a way that it'll make things better. That's why the word of God is called like your daily bread, not your daily steak, right? It's like it sustains you and it keeps you. And sometimes you're gonna read the word of God and it's just gonna blow your mind. And sometimes you're gonna read it and not be sure how the Holy Spirit of God is working. And yet he will be at work in your life. What do I do? I cultivate a lifestyle. You know the little phrase I use in my life? Try to use with others, I'm discipling. Um, Sometimes I'm gonna miss things that I like commit myself to but I always say I never want to miss two days in a row. Make that your thing with the Bible. Some days you're going to miss. Some days you're going to be busy, tired, sick, exhausted, just overwhelmed, and you're not going to read your Bible. Never miss two days in a row. Like you, you're kind of the generation that got hooked on the idea of like a streak, like on social media, on Snapchat, like we have this thing back and forth, like we had a, we had a string together, the streak, and that's like a cool thing, except what happens sometimes is people are like, I read the Bible seven days in a row, and then I missed a day. So I gave up forever. You know? I'm like, what? Like, you would not do that with any other thing. Like, imagine a day, maybe even yesterday, you traveled, you were on a bus all day, in cars, vans, you got up here, you were exhausted, you were tired. I am willing to bet that out of a thousand people in this chapel, at least one person forgot to brush their teeth yesterday. I'm just guessing. Or maybe you've had a moment, here's what, someone raised their hand like me, right? Here's the deal. There is not a single one of you who's like, I forgot to brush my teeth yesterday. I guess it's all over. You throw your trash can into the trash can. Never, right? You just see you pick it up the next day. That's what it means to cultivate a lifestyle. That it's not some goal. It's not some streak. It's not something you're just trying to hold on to for like pride's sake. It's just part of your normal life. You crush your excuses. You create a plan. You cultivate a lifestyle. See, when I was a sophomore in high school, the year it was 2004, And we were on our winter retreat, and uh, our winter retreat in high school took place up at uh, Lake Tahoe. Uh, And Lake Tahoe has this little place called Zephyr Cove. And Zephyr Cove uh, is this little retreat center where we um, got to go and and do winter retreat. And, And here's what happened. Several years ago, I went back to Zephyr Cove, and I went out, and I took a picture of this dock right here in Zephyr Cove. And here's why. Because on January 1st, 2004, I was a sophomore in high school, and I used all the excuses and all the terrible ideas of why I didn't have to read the Bible all the way up until that point. But on January 1st of 2004, I went out to the very edge of this dock. And as the new year was starting, I sat down and I made a commitment to my God. And my God met me there. Like, literally, my God met me at the end of this dock. And I made a decision that I was going to make the Bible right at the center of my life. I was going to crush my excuses and create a plan and cultivate a lifestyle. That was January 1st of 2004. And since that day, every single day of my life, I've read the Bible. Now, listen. If I missed a day or two, it doesn't matter. It's not about a streak, it's not about a perfection, it's about a moment I had where the God of the universe met me and I decided that I would no longer neglect his word. I would no longer settle for any kind of Christianity that was a half-baked, watered-down, second-hand kind of Christianity. Right at the edge of that dock, when I was 15 years old, I made a decision that I was gonna read the Bible every day and it has changed my life. It has flipped everything upside down. And you know what I want for every single one of you this week? I want you to find your own dock. I want you to find that place where you sit with the Lord and you tell him, this is it. I'm doing it. I'm all in forevermore. I'm going to read your Bible. I'm going to know your Bible, not just out of emotion, but I'm going to create a plan, crush my excuses, cultivate a lifestyle. I'm going to actually bring the Bible to the center of my life. I want you to find that dock. Now listen, if all of you decide it's the literal dock, it'll sink into the lake, okay? So it doesn't have to be there. It can be under a tree. It can be at a chair that just looks out over the lake. It can be somewhere here where you just sit down before the Lord and say, you know what, God, I've been filled with excuses. I repent of those excuses because they were ridiculous to begin with. God, I want to commit my life to bringing the Bible, the word of God, to the center so I can actually know who Jesus is. God, I'm done settling for the secondhand, watered-down version of Christianity. God, I want to know you, and I want to trust you, and I want to know and delight in your word. See, here's how it ends, the last verse we'll look at in um, John chapter 1. John says, verse 26, if you're following along your Bibles. John says, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I I love this phrase he uses. He says, listen, you guys don't know Jesus And the goal is not for you to know a philosophy or an idea or a worldview or a religion or a morality. The goal is for you to know Jesus. The point of me wanting you to read your Bible is not just so you have a Christian worldview or you do religious activity. It's so that you can know Jesus for who he actually is. That's what John wants for them. He says there's someone you don't know, but if you do know him, you would know I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes, to unstrap his sandals. I'm not even worthy of that. See, the goal and the heartbeat is that you would be the type of person who knows Jesus because that's what the scriptures ultimately do. You want to know the reason I'm so confident the scriptures are true? It's not because I was raised that way. It's not because I just bought into some idea or some philosophy or some image in my mind. The reason I know the scriptures are true is because the scriptures reveal Jesus to me. The scriptures reveal Jesus for who he is. And I know that my Jesus loves me. I know that he rose from the dead and the scriptures reveal Jesus to me. And when I see Jesus clearly and Jesus' confidence in the scriptures, I know that the scriptures are true, that the Bible is God's word for me. If you have doubts on that, or you're like, I don't even know if I buy that, I don't buy into this idea of the scriptures, can I just give you a real challenge, and maybe this is a challenge for some of you. Tonight I've been talking about the Bible. I think there are some of you who are like, Brian, I already read the Bible. I read it constantly, consistently. I crushed my excuses. I have a plan. I've cultivated a lifestyle. Can I give you a challenge that I think some of you have never done in your entire life? I want to challenge some of you to read the entire Gospel of John this week. Like, we're kind of preaching through the Gospel of John, but I'm not going to be able to cover every verse. You just read the entire Gospel of John throughout the course of this week. Or if you want a real challenge, here's a great challenge. During free time one time this week, read the entire Gospel of John in one sitting. Sit down and read all 21 chapters. It will take you about two hours. People have timed this out, how long it takes to read books of the Bible. It'll take you two hours. You sit down at one o'clock after lunch. You'll be done by three. You'll still have time to go in the pool, okay? Like, it's amazing. Sit down. Do this. Read the whole Gospel of John because here's what I want you to see, that reading the Bible is not about getting information or a worldview. Reading the Bible is about knowing and encountering Jesus. And again, my fear for some of you is that you have settled for something less than the actual Jesus that is found in the Scriptures. So you remember... In Hawaii, I had that Burger King coffee, and um, it was terrible, and watered down, and like this cheap, terrible thing, Um, and then it was later on that day, um, we kind of went through the rest of the day, and I had totally forgotten about my coffee, Uh, and I got together with the whole crew, uh, and we were walking to dinner, and we were walking down that same stretch of beach and same stretch of shops, and as we were walking, we saw the Burger King, and I was there with some people who were more local and people who were kind of flying in for the camp and all that kind of stuff, big group of us walking, and and then as I saw the Burger King, I started to relay my tale from that morning, and I I told my friends there, I was like, yeah, this morning, Burger King, coffee, kind of sad, but you know, had to do what I had to do, and this guy who was with me, who knows the area pretty well, is like, but, but like, why did you choose Burger King? And I was like, I, I was just telling you, like, I was desperate, and I didn't want coffee. I needed. I went through my whole spiel. He goes, no, no. Why did you choose Burger King? And then he like directs my eyes two blocks down. There is this beautiful beachfront Starbucks sitting right there. And he's like, why did you choose Burger King when you could have had that? And I remember the emotion I felt. It wasn't sadness. It was rage. Because I settled for a cheap alternative when I could have had the real thing. I settled for this watered-down, terrible thing when the good stuff was right there. And the tragedy is that there are millions of Christians in this world, and maybe some of you, who have settled for a cheap, watered-down alternative of Christianity when the real thing is sitting right there in your hands, when the real thing is a Jesus that you can actually know through the scriptures. And if I can plead with just one of you tonight is to forsake this second-hand Jesus where you never get to know him for yourself, but rather you decide that this is the week your excuses are done, your plan is created, your lifestyle is launched, and the word of God moves to the center of your life. You do not have to settle for a watered-down, cheap, alternative, second-hand Jesus. You can have the real thing yourself. That's what I want for you. That's what I pray for you. It's what I believe by the power of the Spirit. God is going to grant to some of you this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight. Thanks for your word. Um, I'm just so aware, God, of how it's changed my life and turned everything upside down. I'm so aware of how powerful your word is when I read it, when I study it, when I memorize it, when I just make my life about it. I'm so aware that some people in this room are right on the cusp of discovering that same joy. So Father, may no one in this room settle for anything less than you. May we not settle for anything less than your word and the truth of it. May we settle for nothing else than the real thing. So God, may that happen this week by the power of your spirit. For the person who's tried before and failed, God, I pray your spirit would give them the diligence to do so. For the person who's resistant and doesn't think they need the word of God, I just pray your Holy Spirit would shatter their hardened heart tonight. For the person who's faithfully reading their Bible, I pray your Holy Spirit would minister to them this week and remind them of the goodness of your word. May it be sweet like honey to their lips. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that it shows us Jesus. May we be all about him. May we be always about him. May we worship him and him alone. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said real loud, amen. Amen.